Hey everybody, thanks for coming to another episode of Adventures in Angular. I'm your host, Aaron Frost. I work with Hero Devs, I work with ng-conf, and uh, I'm a GDE as well. Today on the panel, we have everyone's favorite, Alyssa Nichol. You caught me at a really bad time. I'm not eating a carrot right now, but hello, everyone. <laughs> I think you wanted to eat the carrot as you introed, because you yeah. eat it I when thought I, I know, I thought I could eat it faster. You, you caught me off guard, man. You caught me off guard. <laughs> So listen, let everyone know who you are, what you're doing. So I'm an Angular developer advocate for Kendo UI at Progress. Uh, we make cool components. I've always loved the, like I, I like to call it the front end of the front end uh, more. So yeah, and I'm, I'm here to just avidly uh, love on Angular. Cool. cool. <laughs> and as our guest today, we've got a guy who I met a few months ago and now I love him. We got Craig Spence. Craig, go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Hi, um, I'm Craig. I'm from New Zealand, but I live in Stockholm now. The last couple of months I've been um, a software engineer at Spotify. Um, not doing any Angular stuff, but um, in a past life I did, did quite a bit. So I've been uh, lucky enough to talk at a couple of conferences, got a few more coming up. Love the Angular community and keen to chat about some stuff. Cool. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io. So today we're going to talk about probably one of the most important problems facing the world, which is packs of wild dogs taking over most of the major populated cities in North America. Mm. Uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> what's up with New Zealand and the spiders. You guys have a lot of spiders over there? Nah, common misconception. New Zealand's got like a couple of bad ones. Australia's got all the really bad ones. New Zealand's fine. Come visit. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's an island, so the spiders didn't make it. Pretty much. I think we've got like one quite bad one, and even then it'll just kind of like bite you and bubble up a bit, and then you'll be okay. You it, might be bubbles. Bubbles. it might be a lie. I but like, you're not going to die, so just, it's fine. Like, it's fine. I think I think the most dangerous animal in New Zealand is like a wild pig. Okay. Well, that's dangerous. Those yeah. are scary. Let's not yeah. underestimate them. I've never, <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard of More often than not, you might see like a little coonie thing. If you, if you Google that, it's like the cutest mm -hmm. little things in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want one. So, Craig, we, we brought you on. You're an expert in quite a few things. I know you're an expert in NGRX. You're an expert in um, AngularJS. You're an expert with Angular. Spotify brought you on because of a lot of this expertise. So, I figured it's not, we, when we were talking before the show, let's just talk about maybe some of the stuff you learned in your time with, with Angular and AngularJS. Yeah, I guess um so for a bit of context, before I um before I left New Zealand, my whole time, my whole professional career after university was spent at um 
at one company called TradeMe. TradeMe is like New Zealand's um, New Zealand's basically version of eBay. They kind of got into the market before eBay existed there. They expanded to do things like property and um, motors and jobs and those kind of things. Pretty New Zealand kind of institution, like very deep market saturation. I really loved brand. And so I spent um, six years there between, between uni and leaving the country. And a big deal of that time was on a basically a complete site rebuild of taking uh, an existing .NET application and uh, a backbone um, mobile site, trying to figure out a way to smush them together into one one responsive experience. And that was about five years of my life doing that stuff, crossing the bridge from AngularJS all the way through to Angular. I think we were almost on eight before I I left. And so, yeah, covered a lot of things. I helped figure out um, our test approach, our test tooling. I helped... um, work on our component library and, and how to scale this across to, you know, a whole a whole big number of teams building a, a pretty big Angular app. So I learned quite a bit. How many teams? Um, so when it started, we were, I guess, about eight of us working centrally on starting, setting up the kind of architecture and some of the decisions. Um, by the time I left, we were um, more like 20 teams across, um, across three cities. How many people are on a team just so that we can do some simple math? Between five and eight kind of thing, okay. um, cross-functional teams, you know, developers, testers, designers. A, a significant amount of developers, basically. Yeah, enough enough to be having the kind of problems that you see at, at that kind of level. Yeah. Yeah, and w- working on, a, on an app that um, does a lot of stuff. So, you know, you can buy and sell a car, you can buy and sell a house, you can buy and sell a phone, you can... Um, List a job. You can find someone to clean your car. Is this you can, like all the same app, or they have like a bunch of different apps that do these things. This is one one web app. Um, so there's a bunch of native apps that um that do a lot of these things. But from a from a code base point of view, one app, one API, one API with one version that you can't remove anything from. Oh yeah. <laughs> some, some fun so, so I think the listeners want to know. What are some of the weirdest things people sold on your trade me website that you saw? So there's some pretty famous ones. The one that kind of springs to my mind, there's a book that kind of has the top 10. And I think it's pretty close to the top, but somewhere in New Zealand's history, I believe the story is that one of the kind of captains of a rugby team, one of, one of New Zealand's most prominent rugby teams, who was also a fairly prominent rugby player, had some kind of altercation in a bar and either got hit or hit someone with a lady's handbag. Yeah which eventually ended up on Trade Me and, and got... The lady's on. handbag. Yeah, that, that was used to beat someone. Um, did it get pretty, sold as a weapon or did it get sold as a handbag? I'm pretty sure it got sold as a charity item. So it kind of mm-hmm. went, went and, and made some money for someone. I'm not sure. But that, that was a pretty common thing. The kind of big ones were things like someone, you know, someone sold, you know, you can put a tattoo on my butt kind of thing. Yeah, but, like their body space. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, advertising. That sounds like that was like selling advertising space. Exactly. Exactly like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Lots of those kind of things. Great. Some, some pretty weird stuff. Anyone ever like uh, auction like their own kidney, like a college student that's hungry? I mean, maybe your college students aren't as hungry as the American ones. No, we, we, we feed not our drowning in debt. That's good. That's good. Your country. Yeah, I think um, because of the trade music position, um, they can kind of have quite an interesting influence on um, some like more social policy. So, for example, um, I think people heard about the, the shooting in Christchurch last year. In the follow-up to that, we kind of realized that 
were able to sell pretty serious weapons on Trade Me. And as a company, we kind of decided, hey, we're not going to do that anymore. You know, at the same time that the government was deciding the same thing. So it was a pretty cool place to work. I, I really miss everyone there. Um, they were really smart and doing really, really cool things. And you just switched over how you said they were almost on eight. So it had to have been recent, right? That you got the new job? Yeah, yeah. So I, I finished up there kind of middle of May, jumped on a plane, came over this way, and then jumped on a plane the next week and went to Tel Aviv to, to hang with Frosty at Angular Up. Which was cool. Which was amazing. What a beautiful country. <laughs> I learned some things about Craig. The dude has serious, I, will, I would sign an affidavit. He has superpowers. He has superpowers. Mm. So it's it's insane. It's one of those stories that if you tell it, people won't believe you. So we gotta we gotta sign something on that. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you tell the story, ninety nine percent of people will hear it will be like, mm, I don't believe it. <laughs> hey. Okay, but you're like not even gonna give us a clue. Like, like no, I'm, I'm not gonna be the guy that ruins his reputation. Uh... What, what happens in Tel Aviv stays in Tel Aviv. <laughs> yeah. We had a good time. We um we went up north with um, Yuri Shaked and with Shai Resnick, and we we checked out the Syrian border. We uh, yeah. went. We to- went to, listen, we went to Syria, bro, dude. <laughs> That's a almost, almost Syria. We're like five yards. Like we're like five yards away. I'm I'm calling it. You yeah. just like go up to him. Can we just cross over like real quick? Like just like real fast. Like just. Yeah. <laughs> they told us stories about how it's pretty. Like the fence was like it's it's got monitoring and stuff, so we couldn't do that, but we wanted to. Yeah, yeah we went to Syria. That was I thought that was a little irresponsible, shy maybe to take um, some tourists up to the Syrian border, but uh, <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. We survived, oh, yeah. so it goes in the fun column. I got my feet <laughs> so so burned to the Dead Sea. Wait, how did you? Get oh no! So me, me and Mike Hardington, we were so the, the tour after the conference. We um, we were, we're all at the Dead Sea, and it was hot, but it wasn't that hot. And so both of us took like our sandals off up on the beach, and then mm-hmm. basically like ran down. It's the well, it's not that far. It's only like fifty yards yeah, from yeah. where your chair is to get into the water. And it wasn't wasn't far and enough. It, it looks like a beach, <laughs> but the sand was like. I had blisters on my feet for a few, few days after. I think wow. so. The sand is like thick in mineral, Alyssa, because of what the Dead Sea is. It's like such a that high. Makes it extra hot. So the sun just bakes it. <laughs> Yo, I took my sandals off like ten feet from the water, and I had to immediately put them back on because my feet were on fire. So that was this, the hottest bit. This dude. Walked 50 yards with no sandals. Insane. <laughs> and, then, and then I also um, managed to get my head under in the Dead Sea, got water in my eyes, oh, got, yeah, yeah. got it in my mouth. So I did dumb stuff in Tel Aviv. But I still- yeah, there's like three things they said don't do. What? Like he, don't walk barefoot? Don't, don't put your eyes in the water. He immediately put his eyes in the water. It was an accident. He's like... Hey guys, look, look how I'm floating weird. Watch this. I can float weird. And then all of a sudden he floated upside down and his head's <laughs> in the water. And you can't clean your eyes out with your hands because your hands have the water on it, right? So just oh. picture me just bawling my eyes out in the middle yeah. of the Dead Sea. I mean, like your eyes were closed. So like even with your eyes closed, you go under, it's bad news. Well, they would have been closed, but I was surprised. Um, yeah. you- 
there with your eyes open. Well, I, just, I was just like lying on my back and I sort of rolled with it too far back. Who yeah. missed that? I'm so sad I missed this. I was pregnant at the time and I missed, look, I missed this awesome trip that you guys did. You did. You did. It was a really, really good conference. I had, I had such a nice time. Um, you missed it. So much good food. So many good talks. Yeah, it was fun. Everyone should, if you get a chance, go to Angular up next year. I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I hope to go back. The one mm-hmm. thing I didn't know, which I have since found out, is because I've been to Tel Aviv and because I've been to Israel, there's now a few countries that I'm not allowed to go to, which Wait, I didn't what? know before that. Like, um, I think it's like a kind of passporty thing. So I, if I really want to go to Syria, I can't, but that's okay. I don't really want to go. I just, oh. I just applied for like the TSA pre-check stuff. Yeah. And I'm hoping that... Did I pass? No, I did. I did put Israel on the list, but I'm hoping that. Did you? Are you doing global entry or just pre-check? Well, I did both because I don't know what the difference is, so I just did both. No, so pre-check is like for when you're going through security and you want to have an easier time of it in the U.S. You can do pre-check and you get a shorter line. You don't take your shoes off. You don't take anything like electronics or anything out of your bag and you just kind of go through and it's faster. Global entry, which does include both, is when you're coming back from other countries, you get the, like, you don't have to go through the, what is it called when it's like you're all these officers and customs. You don't have to go through customs. customs. Mm. You just scan your passport and then get a printout and go. So That's what I want. I want that. I want both. I don't go out of the countries often, so I want more the first one. All right. So let's get back, Craig. <laughs> I feel like I tangented way too early. All right. So you're at this, you're at Trade Me, you're helping people sell weird stuff, and uh, you've got 100 and something developers. And you're building an AngularJS website. And then you got to go to Angular. It sounds like you, you're you one of the daring people that went to Angular early, early. Because you you said ng-upgrade didn't even exist. Yeah, we, we were in there pretty early on. So we fell in the camp of those who were kind of putting a few too many hopes in, into Angular. And so when, when the really big breaking changes started getting announced, we were like, oh, you know, how's this going to work for us? And culturally, we knew that there were a few things that might be a bit hard to navigate. And so... We didn't want to get into a world where we had both AngularJS and Angular running. Mm. So at that point in time, we had teams who were building on the AngularJS um, website. They were not having a good time. Developer experience was particularly poor. The, the mobile performance was particularly poor. Um, and we were trying to replace the old mobile site as kind of like a test. So that, that wasn't going so well. And so my team kind of regrouped. Um, we uh, got a a space of our own in, in one of our other buildings and kind of just knuckled down and started saying, cool, we've built this thing now. We know some of the pitfalls. How do we how do we lean on Angular? How do we lean on this new architecture? And how do we get to a place where we can deliver all the kind of goals that we have for this project? So with NG Upgrade, like it does a lot of things for you. It makes a lot of things easier. And you it sounds like you had to do all that manually. So just explain to us some of the things you had to manually do to glue those two together. Because... I think a lot of us who get ng-upgrade take that for granted, Patanch. And I think it's good to uh, to hear maybe from your experience, you know, what you had to do manually. Yeah, so we, we actually specifically made it so that we didn't have to do anything manually. So what we what we set about to do was to do a, a visual rebuild from the AngularJS to the Angular version. So... We so you like built from ground up a new new site? Yeah, okay. just built, built it again from scratch. So no interop? No, no. Okay. We knew How that long if, did that take to get up to feature compatibility with the old one? Um, it was probably another year, to be, to be totally honest with you, if not a bit longer than that. We took on a, a 
huge amount of organizational risk with that. It took a huge yeah. amount of, um, you know, the, the trust that the other teams in the company had with us. We, we took a lot of that. And I think, I think we ended up doing, doing a really good job. Um, there were definitely some hard things. I would say that the main thing that saved us was that in the AngularJS world, we'd already built out quite a, a rich component library. And so basically once we rebuilt that in, in Angular, a lot of the views just kind of came together. We tried to stick to some smaller APIs um, for most of those components. That meant we could automate quite a big deal of the upgrade. I'm talking like code generation automation rather than, because um, again, the CLI was very new. We didn't really have schematics and stuff like that yet. But as, as the new tools kind of came along and, and got more, more developed, we started using those. And, and by, the time, by the time the other teams were on board, you know, we had the full CLI, we had all the schematics and, and all the ways you can kind of spin up a new Angular application now, along with this kind of custom test tooling that we built, this custom component library that we built. We definitely learned a lot, and there was kind of a lot of stuff to unpack there. <laughs> but we managed so, to avoid doing an upgrade, at least. I think it's time for a new segment called Halftime Show, where <laughs> Craig pulls out his guitar and <laughs> does a little, a little gig. He does a little road gig for us. I'm going to find a little one, because it's probably better. I'll be back in a sec. Yeah, get the uke, bro. <laughs> I see it on the wall. Yeah, yeah, that one, yep. Yeah. All right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, listen, this is the first ever Adventures in Angular halftime half show. Show. I'm so pumped. It's the first one ever. Yeah. We've always done picks at the end. We've never done halftime shows. So here's the first. Yep. What do we got? Let's see the tune. It's in tune. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of something that'll make Mike Hardington jealous. Um, <laughs> This is definitely not in tune. There's an Angular theme song for you. Thanks, man. That's great, bro. All right. Halftime show. <laughs> I think I think apparently we're gonna have some guitars at Angular Denver. So Oh really? Yeah, so that might be fun. That's oh, good. Apparently yeah, it's a rock star thing. I didn't know you were going. Yay. Yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, yeah. So Are you I'm going, going to listen? Oh yeah, I'll be there. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh nice. That's awesome. Yeah, should really finish my talk. You know <laughs> the conference isn't you got plenty of time, yo. I know. I was going to say, you've got like days. Yeah. You have multiple days. It's the same, it's once the same you, talk from Angular up, so I'm fine. I'm cheating. Once you get the email that says you can check in for your flight, that's really when you should, that's that's kind of when you should start. Yeah. 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 yeah that's that's when you come up with the first idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I, like, I like the pressure. I, okay. Like we joke, but no kidding. Some of the best ideas come then. Like, I don't know why. It's true. <laughs> I have like two slides I need to add. It'll be fine. <laughs> and then like 50 I need to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. All right. So there's a lot of strategies for upgrading from Angular to Angular, from Angular just to Angular, right? Really from, from anything to anything else. There's a lot of strategies. There's the strategy of, do we go view by view? Do we try and do this interop thing in, in, in an AngularJS, Angular world, that's called ng-upgrade, but there's ways to do that with, you know, AngularJS to React or AngularJS to anything really. Um, so you guys chose this path of, hey, you know, when we, when we want to rewrite a feature or upgrade a feature, I guess, 
we'll migrate to Angular. And then I'm guessing you had some hard separation of routes so that you'd get fold page loads on those. Is that is that kind of how that would work for the user? So literally for the user, they just did not see the site change for about a year while we were upgrading it. So oh. Because at this point, we had three different sites running. So we mm. had the, the original Trevi site from 1999. We had the Backbone site from you know 2012. And then we had this other new site that we were working on um, mm. that we had started opting people into. But the feedback that we got was so underwhelming that um, we had to take another track. Mm. And so that, that other track was you know Angular, real Angular. So you did the close the doors rewrite path. Yep. When you unveiled it, it sounds like you had rewritten the whole entire thing in the new thing. Yeah, so, I was going to ask how that works. Like, Did you yeah. slowly introduce a certain amount of users or did you just be like, boom, overnight? Like, it's, <laughs> This so, is now the new app. So we, we had it as an opt-in for the people who were already seeing the new site. And then we had some, some pretty hardline goals onto what we wanted it to actually be like before we got people on it again. So one of the really key things there was um, mobile performance. We kind of had this goal of making it as fast as the previous Backbone app, which was pretty small and, and thankfully pretty quick. And so we actually ended up going through, you know, several phases trying to get to that kind of performance. You know, as, as the tooling around Angular got better, um, our understanding of, you know, how, how route splitting works, how route preload strategies work, how you know, individual performance optimizations for individual components works, um, how we can lean on NGRX to make performance better, and then all the way through to, cool, let's throw Angular Universal in the mix because we want it to be fast and we want it to have good SEO. There was these, these pretty distinct phases of, of getting the new thing ready and just kind of saying, like, you know what, the way we tried to do this with AngularJS wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for our teams. It wasn't good enough for our users. How do we, how do we take this new, basically entirely new framework of Angular and, and really lean on that to get a good experience? So why don't you ruin the ending and tell us how it worked? Like ultimately successful, ultimately should have gone back to backbone. How did it go? Ultimately, um, I consider it a success. So okay. they're, they're still rolling it out. They've got all mobile users on it, as far as I understand. This is a, we're talking, you know, an almost 20 year old company with some pretty change averse users. And so figuring out a good strategy to, to introduce this at that kind of bigger break point, it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was pretty sad to have to, to have to leave it actually. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of still interested to see how it plays out. But to me, the more interesting challenges around that were um, kind of some of the, the cultural ones, like how you actually get big teams to shift technology, how you get people to you know, ultimately trust a brand new stack. Um, yeah, because that's what it was, right? At the time, it was like, we're, we're rewriting this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And honestly, one of, the, one of the last things I did before I left was um, essentially sell the idea of, of shifting to Basil and say, hey, our, our builds aren't fast enough. Um, that's slowing down our ability to experiment. I think this company needs to make a big technology bet again, trust the Angular team, trust that tool chain and go for it. And so I kind of left with that ticked off and I don't know what happened. So I'm heading home in September for a few weeks and I'm kind of keen to see how everyone's been getting on. But mm-hmm. as a company, they, they've invested really heavily in Angular. They got Thomas Belson um, and the ThoughtRam team. And then later when Thomas was at Narwhal, out, he ran a bunch of amazing training with us. We got to know got to know Thomas really well. Um, he came out, I think, four times to, to run Angular training with our teams. And so they've actually got a really a really tight shop of some really really smart Angular developers just just ticking away down there, um, mm. producing some really cool stuff. Uh, so that's awesome. What's this cute logo for a trade me? Yeah. So that that's Kev. 
Kev the Kiwi. Um, <laughs> he's um he's a fave. Um, <laughs> he he had a bit of a facelift a few years ago. Like, what did he look like before? If you said trade me old logo, you should see. But okay. I, I could actually show you because I have a tattoo of on my foot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Do oh it. my gosh! I do this. Oh, right. Happening. There we go. Hey, what oh, up? <laughs> That's funny. So um, let's say you you could go back to your AngularJS and you're going to do your upgrade migration again. What would you do different? What would you do the same? I'm only asking because a lot of the users are sitting here staring those decisions in the face right now. Totally. What would you do the same? What would you do different? That's a really, that's a really good question. And I thought about it a ton. A question that gets asked of me a lot is, um, well, got asked of me a lot is, why didn't we build it in React? I stand by Angular being the right decision for a few reasons. One was that we knew we wanted to have a complicated, massive application. We also knew that we didn't have time or necessarily the cultural buy-in to hash out all of the decisions that you have to make to build, to build a really good React application. At the time we first started, React didn't exist. So the initial choice was, was not even a choice. It was kind of backbone or Angular at the point in time. And by the time that React came along, we had built up so much you know, Angular skills in, in-house. Um, we'd built up some pretty strong ties with the community, and, and those things were really valuable to us. New Zealand is pretty constrained for talent. So we probably knew that either way, React or Angular, we weren't going to be able to hire a whole bunch of devs really easily. But we knew Angular and we knew we could train people on Angular. And so that was a pretty important consideration for us. We had teams who were used to, you know, building .NET kind of MVC applications. And so that was a big part of the original Angular JS decision was MVVM or MV whatever, or whatever we call it these days. Um, that, that pattern was going to be familiar to them already. Originally, even when we were doing Angular JS, we went with TypeScript. So... We'd been using that with an AngularJS app, and that made it part of the migration quite quite easy too. We already had types generated for our API coverage, that kind of thing, and that's something I definitely definitely have done again. So TypeScript, TypeScript for us really solved a few problems that we just would have, you know, had to solve other ways. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd stuck with Angular. Um, I think it's it's the right choice for that particular company. It's the right choice for. Um, building an application of that scale where you don't want to necessarily make decisions and you want to be able to depend on you know the Angular team who are building pretty incredible tooling to to build out a really big application. I'd, I'd stick with TypeScript. You know, again, types types have saved me enough times to believe in them now. I really strongly believe in design systems. Obviously, things like Angular Material, which are incredible resources for people who are building applications. There are um, obviously other options out there as well. You know, things like Amkendo and all those. For us, it was really important for us to have a really strong brand, really um, that, that, that trade me look and feel that we wanted to be able to develop as the application grew and kind of tweak it as time went on without having to do big, big whole site changes. Um, so the design system really saved us. We invested really heavily in, in testing and I think getting a pretty good good level of test coverage over the things that mattered. So I remember over the time we kind of swapped from, from Webpack to System.js back to Webpack and then to the Angular CLI, you know, completely ripping out those, the, how, the whole way that our application worked a number of times with, with a really comfortable test bed underneath it. And so I think that test approach really, really paid off for us. It's certainly not an Angular-specific thing, but... 
there are lots of things that I'd change too. I think, I think we made some big cultural mistakes. My kind of final reflection on the whole project was that we didn't clearly express the goals of the project. Like we as a, as a central team knew what the goals were, but we didn't communicate them, them well enough. Um, none, none, of the, none of the things we did wrong were technology choices. They were more people difficulties, you know, um, communication and, and trust and how you build those things up when you've, um, when you've lost a bit of trust by saying, hey, are we rebuilding this thing again? You know, we changed people's job titles. You know, I think um, one of the biggest things we underestimated was how hard building a good front end is. This is a, a conversation we've seen play out a few times, but kind of the, the unconscious biases around front end versus back end, what it takes to build an application that is truly responsive, that, you know, cares about things like accessibility, about performance, about loading states, about, um, you know, fast transitions between pages and, and all those things that are actually really tough engineering things to make. And we just set this expectation that people would just care about that stuff. And so I, th- I think we made a few, a few missteps in that, in that side of thing, Te- technology-wise. What's the answer, though? I mean, just more communication, try harder. I don't... Yeah, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it's always more communication. I think it's about a little bit more bravery when you muck up. I think it's mm. it's a two way thing, though. There's there's a lot of forgiveness involved as well. You know, saying, "Hey, look, this has taken a while. Here's the stuff that we've got for you. It's not perfect. We want to work with you. This is um, this is a thing that we're doing together." Some of, some of those messages got got lost a bit along the way. It was pretty tough at sometimes. You know, this this isn't a unique problem or a unique story even in software. You know, we lost people uh, who you know decided that it wasn't the right place for them to work anymore. We made promises to people that we couldn't keep, and then they hadn't worked on Angular for a few years, and so they went and got other jobs, which was all really hard. But ultimately, it was an incredible thing for for my own personal development, seeing what those failures, failures looked like and seeing seeing how I changed in the way that I was approaching some of these problems. My, my own understanding of um, change management, not that I can claim a deep understanding of it, but I certainly know a bit more than I did at the start. Mm-hmm. I think I think the biggest the biggest thing that I would have done would be just to get a few more minds in the room as soon as possible more often like when there's a problem or just like before there's a problem I mean ide- ideally before right like you know we we weren't solving particularly unique problems. We were solving a lot of problems. Like there, there are a lot of things to consider when you're kind of re-architecting an application. But sometimes we just kind of got in the room, the few of us, and just figured something out. And, and more often than not, we came up with a good solution. But there's, there's a part there about bringing people into, into a solution. And it's actually a thing I'm learning a lot about at Spotify. Um, so Stockholm and Sweden are a very um, consensus-based culture. And that can be really challenging, right? Like sometimes you might just need someone to make a decision. <laughs> but, but one of the benefits of like actually reaching consensus is once you get to a decision, you can move forward really quickly. Yeah, because everyone's on board. Exactly. The number of conversations we ended up having to have, we were kind of reselling the same idea to the people that you know, were going to be building this thing. It wasn't a waste of time. It was really important communication to have. But if you can shift that stuff left, do it faster, um, then that, that's something I would have tried to do better. One of the things that I'm really, really proud of was um, by the end of my time at Trade Me, um, 
I was in a team of what we called just evangelists. You know, it was kind of a dev evangelist, a dev advocate role, but it was entirely internal. So it was on us to manage basically the training of the teams, the onboarding of the teams, getting them up to speed, working in the application, but also kind of selling them on the vision, you know, doing some of that explaining of the problem space, doing some of that explaining of like, here's why accessibility is important. You know, we can you know, get 20% more people using our product. And if you're a, you know, if you're a business person, you say, hey, that's 20% more money. Or if you're, a, you know, more design oriented, like it's, a, it's an inclusive thing. It's about, you know, bringing people on board, having those conversations all the way through to. It sounds like you wore so many hats in that job. <laughs> yeah, it does really. Incredible. <laughs> um, I cared a lot about this project. Again, it was you know six years of my life, so I certainly wasn't doing all these things at once. I, I started as an intern and I ended up as a, as a tech lead. So I did, I did wear a few hats. <laughs> you know, I got to rebuild New Zealand's biggest website um, before I turned 30. And I sure as hell, I'm very grateful for that, that experience. And I learned, I learned so, so much. And I think that's part of why I feel not obligated, but like, like it's the right thing for me to do to talk about a lot of this stuff. You know, you see, you see blog posts about you know, all the amazing things that people are doing and um, all the things that, you know, people have overcome and succeeded. Um, quite frankly, we just stuffed up like in quite a big way. And yeah, we recovered from it. But talking about that stuff up is, um, is pretty interesting, I think, too. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm, I'm glad that you came on and shared this. I think that there's a lot of people who are the opposite of you where you were like, hey, I'm going to adopt Angular way before it's ready, Mm -hmm. which I think is nuts. But I think there's a lot of people who are the opposite where it's like, hey, seriously, Angular's been ready. React has been ready. Stop writing in AngularJS is all I'm saying. There's probably a lot of lessons that you've learned that that it may be some courage from your experiences that that people can harness. So I hope people that are listening that are still on AngularJS you're really only a few really hard conversations away from being on a modern non-legacy based framework. So um, if anyone has any questions, can they reach out to you? Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, my, my link is a bit long, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get it out somehow. <laughs> say um, say so it. It's phenomenal. Nominal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Frosty follows me. You'll be able to find me. <laughs> yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Maybe it's phenomenal. Two noms. Two noms. I think it's nom nom. Phenomenal. So the real thing is, and that's that's his name everywhere. So like I was I was looking through the NPM the other day, and uh, and I found this thing. And I was like, what is this? And I click on. It, I'm like, oh, it's from the phenomenal. So I immediately I just created an issue and started talking with Craig on his uh, on his, his really old Angular JS thing. So. Hey, it's yeah, phenomenal everywhere. So you can and go now find. it's time for our guest guest appearance. <laughs> Hello. Hey. Oh, hey. <laughs> so good to see you, Shy. Good, <laughs> Lisa. Shy made it. Yeah. How are you, Craig? I'm good, man. How are you? Are you recovered from your experiences at Israel? I am. Just. My feet have stopped blistering after the Dead Sea. We were just talking about that. I heard some stories about you and like how you endangered the lives of guests in your country. (laughs) Oh, Craig. Yeah. (laughs) He said that 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 was what he was told to do. Yeah, that's what we do here. So what are you talking about? 
when you oh, dragged us across the border to Syria and almost got us shot. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that, that, that that's part. Monday here in Israel. Yeah, Monday. <laughs> yeah. What about the other? What about the other days? <laughs> no, we're talking about Craig's experience at Trade Me. Some of the weird stuff that they used to sell on the website. Sounds like they sold some organs and stuff. Oh, and using Angular? Yeah, their upgrade path from Angular just to Angular. We're just kind of talking about lessons learned type thing. Mm, nice. Yeah. Now he's at uh, Spotify working on the same bug for 13 days in a row now. Oh, I didn't yeah. hear that story. There was a 13-day yeah. bug. What? Still going. Still going. So yeah. I don't know how much of it I'm allowed to talk about. But, um, oh, right. Oh, right. talk about that. That just sounds so exciting. 13-day bug. I'll tell you in Denver. Hopefully I've got it fixed by then. Put it this way. My, my Spotify recommendations absolutely ruined because of this bug. <laughs> and everyone better be really, really thankful. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do love Mason Spotify. So this is this they're, is good. They're an product. amazing company. I'm very, 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 very happy to. Be you here. just got like Patsy Klein and Dolly Parton. That's like your recommended list now. That's yeah. funny. All right. Well, Craig, I'm I'm a fan. Hopefully, people can go out and follow you. Um, if you have any questions for him, phenomenal on the Twitter, on the GitHub, on the other things. I'm guessing too. Yeah. Instagram, maybe? Does people still yeah. do that? I don't know. This yeah. is the youngsters, the youngsters. Yeah. Snapchat. By the time this episode goes out, you'll have been in Denver. We'll hung out in Denver. And uh, otherwise, I tell him to come check out your talk in Denver. But maybe go check out his talk online that he's given in Denver. At Denver. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Angular Universal and, and part of this big upgrade. So Cool. Hey, are you working on a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. They update the class regularly for the most current Angular, and a lot of the curriculum is also relevant to older versions. Or you can go beyond the three-day class with help from Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. They can assist your team or launch your project, including scalability, data flow, state management, service architecture, full-stack product design, and a ton more. Or you can contact them for a private class at your location or attend public classes in cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. So let's move on to the picks. And uh, Alyssa turned her camera off, so I'm guessing she doesn't want to go first on the picks. <laughs> I'm here. I'm just feeding baby. <laughs> okay. You want to go first on the picks? Yeah. And she's gone. Here you go. All right. Maybe I, I, will, I will go next. And maybe when she comes back, she can go. My pick is the OnePlus 7 Pro, okay? And so again? For, did I pick it already? Yes. I'm picking it again. Okay, I, that's good. It's that good. Yeah, so there's a, there's a feature on it that I'm going to I'm gonna pick. So I, I read about, like, the Zoom hack where, like, you're randomly, your Mac, all Mac users, your webcam can just turn on and you won't even know that it's on. Like, if you've ever installed Zoom, any website you go to can just turn on your webcam for fun because Zoom's awesome. <laughs> but there's this, and that kind of got me scared. That kind of got me scared. So the OnePlus 7 has this cool feature where the screen is like edge to edge. So there's no camera. There's no front facing camera until you request it. I don't know if you guys can see it. It pops up right there out of the top of the camera. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so cute. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm just saying my phone, if it ever gets zoomed, my phone isn't just going to start like randomly spying on me because uh, there's no camera until I turn it on. And I suppose I would know if it was on because it would just pop out randomly, right? Yeah. 
I'm also going to pick Chloe Condon. She's my pick this week. She's going to work with us at NGConf on making NGConf's next conference. And the theme of next year is called NGConf the Musical. So Chloe's going to help us get all the music ready and um, get our Angular parody well, well taken care of. So anyway, Chloe's my other pick. Alyssa, would you, we hear you again. Okay. So like what I lost, like I couldn't hear you. Like, could you hear me or no? It was like totally gone. Zero. As as soon as we said, hey, would you like to go? We saw you talking. We heard zero. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, My pick was derivative. It was Angular Denver. I was talking about how I'm super excited to see you all there. And I'm doing a talk on dark patterns and UX. So yeah, I'm really pumped about it. And I can't wait. Cool. I'm excited to see you there. Is Zach coming and the baby? Baby will be there. Zach will not be. Zach will not be there. (laughs) Cool. Because the baby loves Angular, but Zach doesn't. (laughs) He's still on the Ember boat. I keep telling him that's not a boat anymore, but... (laughs) It's a boat. I saw Tom Dale the other day. Tom Dale's doing fine. (laughs) The hamsters... Did you hear him? He's in the background yelling, it's a boat. (laughs) It's a boat. It's a boat. Are we doing engineers again? I missed the last one and I want to do it. No, he's Canadian. It's a boat. A boot. It's a boat time. It's a boat time. <laughs> uh, all right. Shai, you got you any picks? Yeah, I have a new version for uh, Jasmine Auto Spies, the library I created. So, hello. Link in the show notes. And that's basically a library that helps you ref- like create uh, spies for your test automatically. And then you have like easy refactoring and all that stuff and don't deal with strings anymore and all that crap. So Mm. check it out. Check it out. That's my pick. All right, Craig. Um, My pick is this trusty Fender Telecaster in Seth Green. Um, I bought myself a new guitar when I moved here and it's very nice. Everyone should get one. So Shai, you didn't no, we did our first ever feature on the podcast. We had we had a halftime show. It was beautiful. Really? Yeah, Craig did a halftime show with his miniature guitar. Nice. It was great. You played the NG rap song? No. <laughs> well, because you have all three of us and we can sing it for you. That's true. Uh, Craig, what did you play? I played the intro to a song by Mr. Frank Turner by the name of If Ever I'll Stray. If Ever I Stray. One of those. Yeah. So yeah, Frank Turner is my pick. Frank Turner is an amazing British musician. He's currently launching a album which is all about uh, incredible women through history, and he's actually running a podcast about the Angular Baby. So <laughs> it's all about the Angular Baby, or who was it about? <laughs> the Angular Baby. It's all about incredible women in history. Yeah, got it. That's awesome. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. You won't be hearing it, it sounds like, because you messed up your Spotify recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe the rest of us can hear it. So, All right. Well, Craig, it's been good having you on here. Uh, Everyone, reach out to Craig on Twitter. Give him a follow. Phenomenal. I'm really close to a thousand people following me, too, which is stupid. Oh, come on, guys. We can get him over the top. Let's do a thousand. Let's do a thousand. You will get a raise. We'll catch everyone next time. Peace. Peace. (laughs) Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.